Hi, I'm Rob. Hi, I'm Doc. And for those of you wondering where David is, he's in our nation's capital this weekend. He's enjoying the Ooh. sights, uh, yeah, the sights and delights of Canberra. And uh, although you will hear him on the class episode this weekend, we thought it might be a bit of a stretch to make him record both. So I've got super sub Doc Hume from the Diddly Dumb podcast here. How are you, Doc? Uh, not bad, thanks, Rob. Here I am, sitting in my nation's capital. How is London tonight? Oh, I'm sure it's nowhere near as swanky and sophisticated as Canberra. <laughs> yes, uh, Canberra, for those of you outside of Australia who have never been, is a, a, a tiny sort of weird place um, located in rural New South Wales. It's, uh, it's quite strange. They couldn't decide whether to build it in Sydney or Melbourne, so built it sort of halfway in between the two. <laughs> so there's absolutely nothing around it for hundreds of kilometres. It's just this very strange place. Anyway... Moving on, we've just had the anniversary of Doctor Who this past week, uh, 23rd of November, and we're recording, of course, today on the 27th. And I was wondering whether we might have some anecdotes to kick off the show, Doc, to, to talk about our own experiences with the anniversary. I've also thrown this open to the, to the listeners, so while you perhaps think of one, I want to read one from Mike Sulko, the moderator mm -hmm. of the Time Scoop podcast, which hopefully is coming back very soon with some new episodes. I love the Time Scoop podcast. And Mike says, I try to take some time every November 23 to experience a bit of who I haven't seen, read, or heard before. One of the magical aspects of being a Who fan is that there is so much material out there, it would be impossible to consume at all. This year, I watched the DVD extras for Image of the Fendal, which I recently viewed for the first time, read some Doctor Who magazines from the mid-1990s, and started a just-arrived second-hand copy of Andrew Cartmel's Through Time. Thanks from Mike. Thanks so much for that email, Mike. And uh, Doc, anniversaries, what do you make of them? Do you do anything special for them when they come around every year? I do sod all. <laughs> um, occasionally, with our own podcast, we try to make it land where possible on the 23rd. But if, it's, um, if it takes more energy than otherwise to do so, we don't really tend to bother. I think last year possibly it landed on November the twenty third, but uh, this year I just it would have been it would have been too much effort really. <laughs> and after all, if all Doctor Who podcasts landed on the same on November the twenty third, no one would have the time to to listen to them. I don't know. I must admit, before I started podcasting, I had no idea that people observed this anniversary of November the twenty third. I thought you know sometimes you'll see. Oh, this month it's the 50th anniversary of Power of the Daleks first going out. Mm -hmm. And then once they've got rid of that, they'll say, and in two weeks' time, it'll be the first anniversary of, oh, I don't know, uh, William Hartnell first flopping one of his lines or something. <laughs> so I don't really mind them, really. Ace, birthdays, my own, I mean, mm -hmm. I observe. Otherwise, anniversaries don't really do much for me. Okay. Uh, for yourself. Well, personally, for me, going back to 1987, gosh, uh, that's when I first got involved with the local fan group in my area, um, and that's how I really got into to fandom. I'd been watching the show up mm. until that time, but that year, when I was 12 years old, got into the fan group, you know, I became a real fan. And they used to have an annual get-together on the 23rd of November where people would go over to the club president's house and sleep over for the night and, 
you know, this this is all very innocent, folks. He was only about a year or two older than me. It wasn't like he was, you know, a 30-year-old <laughs> bloke having all these 12-year-olds over. Um, that became a bit of a thing every year, and it became particularly uh, nice, actually, when his family the following year moved to a, uh, a rural sort of location, still in the local area, but, but more rural, and he had a um, like an outdoor, I don't want to call it a shed because it was grander than that, but I don't want to call it a little house of its own or a granny flat because it wasn't as grand as that. Uh, he had his own sort of shack on, on the property that was away from the main house. And so we could all sort of go in there with sleeping bags and, you know, a television set and watch old episodes and drink red cordial. And it was fantastic. So I have very warm memories of the 23rd of November because of doing that in those late 80s years. And it's always been... Hang on on a minute. A sleepover drinking red cordial. How old were you at this time? I was 12 in 87, so... Oh, that's all right. I thought you were in your (laughs) early 30s or something. No, so the first time we did that sleepover in the rural place, I was probably about 13, you know, in the next year, 14, obviously. Um, Yeah, it was good. It was good. So... These days, though, unlike uh, Mike, I, I don't tend to do much myself. I think about it because I often think back to those days of the sleepovers and stuff. And, and I, I often say to people at work, oh, did you know Doctor Who is blah, blah, blah today? If I know they've got sort of a semi-interest in the show. I came home this November 23rd and I thought, oh, should I watch something? And I thought I could. And then I thought, mm, no, I don't need to. And I, I let the moment go. But I did think about it. I did acknowledge it in some way. Just going back to Mike's email, he mentions there's so much material out there, it's impossible to consume it all. So he likes to go and grab, you know, something to watch. And I think that's true as well. I mean, I think of all the Big Finish stuff, for example. I mean, I've heard a bit of Big Finish, but nowhere near all of the stuff that's out there. So I, I guess there's always Doctor Who out there if people want to find something new, whether for an anniversary or otherwise. I find it at times, sometimes, you're so busy messing around with the podcast, either preparing stuff for it, or if you decide, oh, this next week we'll talk about, I don't know, a particular, the Graham Williams era or something. You're so busy trying to find time once you come home from work or at the weekend to shove a few DVDs in and watch and rewatch them. Or if you've not done that, when you've done the podcast, you're messing around editing it. For something that's supposed to be a pleasurable entertainment, it leaves very little spare time to do anything entertaining podcasting, I find. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear you. Obviously, I'm the, the producer of everything we, we put out on here. Um, thankfully, a lot of the guys who do the segments produce them to a fairly high degree already, so I don't have to do much to them, but it's certainly for this main show and certainly for... TARDIS library and you know if I do anything on the side like the Sophie Aldred interview or our class review. Oh I like that by the way. Oh thank you very much we'll talk about that in a sec. Um, Any pressure that's on me with this podcast or any that I've done in the past has always been usually about deadlines that I've set on myself and that can be a little stressy but when I'm actually doing the podcast, when I'm chatting to you, or when I'm chatting to you before we hit the record button, or, or whatever it might be, that's actually the fun part. Maybe, by definition, you start podcasting at a time when you've got a fair degree, you and whoever's doing it with you, have got a fair degree of spare time. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't bother starting in the first place. Mm. And then, it, that's, eventually, that's going to start conflicting with stuff when things come up, when you've got family problems or there's extra work you've got to do at work, 
suddenly you find, oh, I've not I've got free time left. And yet there's almost an expectation, not necessarily from your listeners, but from yourself that, oh, I mustn't, I was almost going to say, I mustn't let people down then. Mm. Um, perhaps my, my attitude is more, I mustn't, I mustn't let the, the audience off the hook. They're going to listen to me whether they like it or not. <laughs> now, you mentioned uh, a moment ago our Sophie Aldred interview, which I wasn't even going to bring up on, on the podcast, but you, you mentioned you listened to it and liked it. You used to be joking. When we get semi-famous Doctor Who celebs on the podcast, we don't shut up about it for months. <laughs> we just say, oh, we've arrived. Well, you've got that lovely intro from Peter Capaldi that I'm jealous of every time I hear an episode of yours. Well, that's um, the uh, the late Matt. When I say late, I'm only in the sense that he never turns up these days. Um, where did he go? I think he went to a record store in the middle of London for a Capaldi signing, and he just happened to, you know, get hold of him when he was taking a, a, a quick break away from the uh, signing DVDs. And God knows, it was quite, quite astonished when he did it. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a nice thing. It's, it's, it is good to talk to these people or, or get, you know, little um, uh, voice... Oh, well, they click on promos, do they, or something? Promo, that's right. Yeah, it's nice to get stuff like that. And, and talking to Sophie Aldred, I was so nervous before I made that call because I had her on Skype and... And I knew what time I had to call. And when it got to the last 15 minutes, say, I was pacing up and down the hallway outside my study, feeling <laughs> feeling a little nervous. Because this is, you know, I was watching her as Ace, say, in 88, when I was 13 years old. And now, all of a sudden, I was going to Skype with her on a Saturday night. It just didn't feel normal. Uh, well, that's, it is strange, that. Because I, I, when you were talking to Sophie, she said at some point... Uh, oh my! Is her son called Adam? Her son Adam. She, she was yes. saying my son Adam's in the room. I think she, we would hear someone giggling and saying, "Oh, it's my son's dad. That's my son Adam in the room." And then towards the end of the podcast, and I'm thinking, "Oh, Sophie Aldred's got a son. Yeah, he must be about four or five years old." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then at the end of the podcast, she says, "Oh, what do you what do you think of this?" And this booming, deep booming voice comes on the pod on the podcast. I thought, of course, she's not. She's not in her twenties anymore, is she? That was about thirty years ago. I I felt exactly the same. I mean, I hadn't thought about it quite as <clears> deeply because when you're in the middle of an interview, you you're focused on just the questions and what you're doing and mm. you know X Y Z. But I was slightly thrown when when his voice came on because you're quite right. You think, oh, her son Adam, yeah, he must be like five or six or something. But you know, Sophie's in a gosh in her 50s now so it's uh yeah he's, he's a bit fact, older than in that fact, at first i thought i must have misheard her. she must have said oh that's my husband adam something like that <laughs> this is always going to sound extremely weird if it turns out his name was michael or something but hmm. <laughs> but yeah i no, I, I really enjoyed doing it and it's up on the feed folks if you want to hear it she talks uh well we talk i should say largely about strangeness in space which is the comedy podcast she does with trev and simon who UK listeners will know very well. And uh, they've recently had a Kickstarter. They, they hit their goal too, which was great. And we talked largely about Kickstarters and, you know, raising money and all that sort of stuff. But we also did some some great Doctor Who chat spread liberally through the conversation. I was, I was happy about that. I didn't want to do that thing, and you see TV networks do it all the time, where they get someone on 
in theory to talk about one thing and then they just talk about something else. I really didn't want to do that to her and say, mm. let's, let's talk about Strangeness in Space for like 30 seconds and then I'm going to talk to you about Doctor Who for half an hour. So it, it deliberately doesn't do a lot of Doctor Who, but I think there's enough in there to be to be interesting at least. And I work little Doctor Who comments in, even when we're talking about Strangeness in Space. So I, I hope I got the balance right. <laughs> I, I must admit, it sounds interesting, but it's one of those podcasts that's on a long list on my um, iTunes account of podcasts I've got to get around to listening to. Like, I subscribe to them, and they keep building up and building up every time a new episode comes in. But I'm like, oh, I've not got time to get around to reading that, for, to listen to that. I first, I've got to listen to that, uh, I don't know, that, um, that Aussie podcast that I heard about I've not had a time to listen to yet. Mm. Um, it's making what ought to be an enjoyable activity a bit like a chore. And again, you know, I've got, I've got, I've got all these enjoyable things that I've got building up. I've got to do. Oh, it's really stressful. Well, you know what's like that for me, Doctor Who magazine. I get every issue on ah, subscription, ah. and you know the last. I'm still in the middle of the DWM. That's all, you know, one long interview with Tom Baker. You're doing better than me. I, not... I've read about two paragraphs from that issue. <laughs> I've, I've got all the others stacked up in, in a cupboard behind me. I've had a chance to get round to them yet. Yeah, but that's an example of something that just keeps popping up and popping up, and I'm I drown in them. And as you say, that there's that Tom Baker issue. I have literally read two paragraphs. I flicked to a random page, read a couple of paragraphs. I thought, oh, that's that's Tom being Tom. That's that's great. That is. And we're now about six issues beyond that, and I still haven't gone back and read it in in depth. Is it sold in shops over there, or do you have to order? Do you take out a subscription? Do you know, I've not been in a newsagent for years. I could honestly say I've not been a newsagent for maybe five or ten years. Um, so I don't know if it's in newsagents. It has been in the past, and it wouldn't surprise me if in bigger newsagents that are still keeping some modicum of a magazine section, you could get it. In a newsagent here, it would probably be about three or four months old uh, because the newsagents typically would get them in buy ship some months after they'd come out and to try and mm. sell them at a normal price. If you go into a specialty uh, sci-fi bookshop that is air freighting them in the week they come out, uh, you'll pay through the nose for them probably at least 20 bucks, if not more these days, um, which is why I uh, subscribe. It works out the issues come to be about 10 or 11 bucks each or something. Last time I, I did the maths. Um, and that's how I get it. So uh, it comes to me whether I want to buy it or not, and that's why they pile up, and that's why I'm so far behind. I must confess, I often read the back page, uh, the the Watcher section, because it has funny little things on it, and I flick through that. But the bigger stuff, the interviews, the here's a uh, a guy who did sets in 1972 type articles. I I just don't have time, even though I'm very very interested, and and such. I tend to leave aside the we've not had them of course this year because there were no series on but I tend to leave aside things like you know the reviews of oh, here's a preview coming of you know the next two episodes this month or here's a review of uh, the episode that's just gone because like you say there's, there's just not enough time in the day um, I wish I, sometimes I'm on a long train journey and um, provided I can hide from the rest of the passengers, which is I'm reading, 
Because I've never entirely got over the embarrassment of being Doctor Who fan. Then I can I can plow through the whole thing. But otherwise, it's um, it is silly, isn't it? Really, it's it's not that it's something you you enjoy. Perhaps it's some it's a sign that maybe we put to um, we spend far too much time on Doctor Who than it, than is uh, than is normal, really. Mind you, you your podcasting split up now, isn't it? So it's not a case where you you know you're you're building up towards the final Sunday of the month. Yeah, that that's right. Very deliberate choice uh, to do that, and it actually creates more work uh, for me, even just in terms of just uploading, you know, four or five or six different things a month rather than just one show. Well, you th- you think it would be easier, wouldn't you, splitting up the work? But now you've got five deadlines mm. instead of one. I imagine. Yeah, and look, the the guys who send in the stuff are very good about meeting those you know i don't have to be chasing them up or or doing anything i I wouldn't do that anyway um you know because i know everyone's got a real life and if something's a day or two late well big deal but yeah it does mean i've got to sit down and listen to it and if there's any sort of like little edits i want to make or whatever I, i make them and then i upload them and i type out a little description of them for the upload that's on itunes then i go to our website and i you know put the media player on the website and I reuse that description and you know there's you know at least half an hour's work there even if I don't have to edit a thing for each of those things so yeah it it adds up it adds up but uh, I guess we're not meant to be bitching about podcasting in in this episode it's 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 a complete delight listeners it is it is it really is and when you get out there on social media and have someone new say I listen to this show or they um they put I am listening to this show. You should go and check it out. And you don't know the person at all, you know. So it's not like a um just a friend saying it. It's a real buzz. It's really fun. It's nice, you know. You you would get that too, I'm sure, Doc. Best bit of advice I can give anyone is thinking of starting a podcast. The best bit of advice is start as you mean to go on and never check your download stats Ooh. to see how many people are listening to you because it starts become you start becoming paranoid. I got to the point at some point where I checked mine every day and I started getting really, really down and disappointed <laughs> if they dropped. And then, and then unnaturally um, elated if they'd suddenly peaked. Yeah. And then you, I've got an even an even worse drop if they plummet again. Yeah, it's, it's a funny thing. I haven't been too addicted to them, but I've got to say when I've gone in, I sometimes try and do a bit of analysis and think, well, why, why did that do better? Because I think there's like a random episode of, of this this show, the the flagship, I guess you could call it, part of the show. And it's like episode eight has way more downloads than all of the others. You can sort of see all of them at a, at a steady number. But episode eight has this huge spike. And I think, well, what was special about episode eight? Uh, nothing in particular. Uh, <laughs> and you try and start to... to to think why why has this happened and there's just no rhyme or reason to it there's no reason episode eight should have this huge spike above and beyond every other episode which it was identical to basically well i start thinking things like oh it went out on a sunday now is it because everyone's got a more time to i don't know switch on their itunes app on a sunday (laughs) or this one was only one and a half hours long so no no one thought has no way i can find time to do that on my commute 
Yeah, it's it's you'll drive yourself mad doing that. Um, as I say, I'm not addicted to the stats, but I have driven myself a bit crazy at times trying to figure out individual spikes and and such. <laughs> Children in Need had a, uh, not a trailer, but an actual clip from the upcoming Doctor Who Christmas special. Um, and an interesting thing, uh, not the clip itself, but an interesting thing, is I didn't see that many people talk about it on social media. No, that, not, that not, is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Not, not, they, not in terms of raving about it or being down on it or anything, but just not talking about it at all. <laughs> I thought, ooh, what's going on here? What did you make of it? I I've no idea what's going on with those brains and that guy turning the you know the the lever of the big wall safe. Hmm. I I did like the doctor peeping around the corner while he's eating sushi. <laughs> I quite like that bit. And I loved the you know the bit where he solves the problem of the guy with the gun by saying, "Oh, go on, shoot us in the back then." Yes. Yeah, and the guy won't Which do it. Which remind, reminded me very much of, you know, the scene in the TV movie where oh. the Eighth Doctor threatens to shoot himself. Yes. The cop doesn't back off. Yes. Uh, which I think is, you know, a nice, clever solution rather than just waving the sonic screwdriver around. I wasn't sure, really. I expected this, you know, this superhero guy that flies around and breaks through the, the, through the window. I expected him to be someone, you know, who was... Um, a bit of a new Trey superhero. Uh, you know when David Morrissey is playing the... Oh, which Christmas episode was it? With the enormous Cyberman? The next Doctor? The next Doctor. And he's you know, he's, he's really over the top. So I'm a hero. Mm. But this guy was, was <coughs> playing... Excuse me, playing it almost like Batman, wasn't he? Modern Batman, not the Adam, Adam West Batman. Yeah. What do you think? I um I thought that the tone was quite light, which I guess we expect at mm. Christmas time. I I've I've started to wonder whether it might be an indicator of what uh, series ten might be like as well. Obviously, because Nardole is going to pop up in is it three mm. or, three or four episodes of series ten, and like I just can't see the Doctor being all dark and moody if he's got sort of a comedy character like that. And what we've seen of Bill so far seemed to be on the more light comedy side as well. So I'm just thinking, A, well, it's a Christmas episode, of course it's going to be like this, but then thinking, oh, could the actual series be a bit like this as well? I'm not sure I'd be be down for that. Not that I need everything to be grim, dark, and horrible, but mm, the Christmas episodes often have a tone that I'm, I'm not quite down with. So maybe this is the reason why a lot of people were indifferent. They They can accept that it's a Christmas episode, it's going to be like this, but at the same time, they might not be entirely happy with that either, because truly, in the past, people would have been talking about this and saying, wow, did you see this? Did you see that? And it was just, it felt very flat, you know? Uh, people weren't saying, yeah, and punching the air. Conversely, they weren't really down on it either. It just happened, and people went, oh, yeah, okay. Well, you would particularly expect that to be the case in a year when there is no Doctor Who, wouldn't you? Or, people, would be, people would be falling over themselves. Well, yeah, yeah, that's that's right. You think anything would be something. Uh, you know, Capaldi's appearance in class, and we'll, we'll talk about class later on as well, I thought might have got a bigger buzz around it, and it, it didn't 
and in hindsight, I'm not sure he was needed, but again, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, what do you think about it in terms of Series 10? Do you think it could be a pointer, or do you think I'm just reading too much into it? I think it's just a Christmas episode. The main thing I was looking for was uh, what sort of character is Nardole going to be? What sort of relationship? Because I've been slightly um, nervous about that. What sort of relationship he's going to have with the Doctor? Mm. I'm not sure, really. He's obviously going to be a humorous figure. He was Um, almost sort of... um deadpan like he was delivering comedy lines but in a yeah. in a in a fairly deadpan sort of way um and is, is he smarter than he seems i've i've got a sense maybe he he might be it is hard to tell from a two-minute clip what do you think about this idea now that you, you know we had for a while we had the suggestion that capaldi was going to be was actually going to stay on for chibnall's first year but now they seem to have reversed that don't they say oh, no the BBC wants to get clean break. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting because you know, obviously, long-term listeners to this podcast or any podcast will know that for, forever, all podcasts have been saying, "Oh, he'll leave when Moffat leaves." Mm. But then it seemed it wasn't quite confirmed, but we got the strong hint that maybe he would stick around. Yes. But then it was that newspaper article that suggested, "Oh no, you know, Bill." Bill is on a one-year contract. She's going to go. Capaldi's off. It's got to get back to being a younger, more dashing hero. It's got to get more viewers in. It's got to make more merchandise money. And I can see that being entirely possible. Uh, It could just be something that a journalist has made up. But at the same time, we know the show dropped about a million real people in Capaldi's second series. Uh, no, mm. no matter how you sliced and diced it and said, oh, well, people time shift now and they watch through iPlayer and when we factor that in, blah, 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 everything's fine. They got away with that for his first series, but by the second one, it was like, well, even when we factor in everything and even when we really generously assume that all these people watching on iPlayer are all different people and not this one person watching it five times. A uh, million people don't start time shifting mm, in one year, do they? No. I hope it's... Um... It is strange. The argument seems to be, yes, I don't know why, where this idea actually does come from, that if you're going to have a new showrunner, he's got to have start with a new doctor. I mean, if a new showrunner is going to give you um, maybe, you know, people will start tuning in just out of interest to see what, what's new, then you'd have thought, well, don't replace the showrunner, the lead actor, and the companion actor all at once, because then you get one boost in audience figures. Replace them, you know, stagger them being replaced, then you get three. You might get three different boosts, hmm. which sounds sensible to me. But there seems to be this idea: oh no, we, we um, he can't he can't take over uh, Morn and Moffat's doctors because you know that would that might uh, intrude upon the showrunner's own. Mm. own vision of what he wants to produce you oh god do you want a vision can't you just give us doctor who <laughs> yeah well there is that i guess though with capaldi at the end of this next series he'll have been the doctor he's only made three series but he'll have been the doctor for four years uh you know which is which is a long time and so it's quite quite conceivable he'll go and it just neatly ties into 
to when Moffat's going. I mean, as we all know, Moffat, in theory, should have been gone at the end of the last series, and we would have had a Capaldi with a different showrunner already. So I think it could have happened. It's maybe just luck, circumstance, fate um, at hand. It, 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 it might not be a grand plan. Um, you know, in fact, with the way we hear about things later in Doctor Who after they've happened, like two or three years down the track, I think mm. sometimes a lot of Doctor Who isn't really as planned as we think. No, I think, I think a lot of it is, but the whole thing of splitting a season into two halves, I think was entirely budgetary. Mm. And even, I suspect, as, as uh, pathetically budgetary as, well, if we delay paying for this, we can put it in next year's accounts. Yes. You know, something as, as childish as that. It wouldn't surprise me at all. That's the way the, the, way the lunatics who run the BBC work. Yeah, and unfortunately for us, in terms of Smithy, <clears throat> it, it was Smithy's, you know, worst series. So to split a bad series in half just seemed to make it even worse because you have this big long wait for the second half and it's underwhelming and it's like, oh, God. Uh, you know, there, there's an example. Smithy, like Capaldi, I think, is a great actor doing interesting things with the role but just got dud stories and his era just seemed mired with issues, you know, often behind the scenes. And I think Capaldi's been similar. I think he's a fantastic doctor, but, you know, there are there are issues at hand. He has lost a million viewers, and I think this could be the last time we see a, an older doctor maybe in the role. Oh, I don't think it'll happen again. Mm. I think, they may not be as all as young as Matt Smith, but... No, I don't know what happened. The, the problem with that, of course, is that the younger they are, the younger the Doctor is, the more likely they are to write his relationship with his companion as being one of unrequited love. Yeah, there is that. Oh, God. <laughs> We're caught between a rock and a hard place on this topic. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that's the problem. If you, if you assume that the people still listening, still sorry, still watching the audience are the diehard fans then obviously it looks like the ones that they're trying to attract that have gone away and they want to bring back are, shall we say, the tenant fans? Mm. Who, oh, isn't he gorgeous? Oh, and will he fall in love with so-and-so? Which slightly concerns me. Uh, I don't particularly want my dog to falling in love with... Uh, he can fall in love with his companion if he likes, but soon that companion is going to leave and be replaced by another female companion who then you have to fall in love with again. He's <laughs> <laughs> just... There we are. He's a bit of a cad, really. Yeah. All right, moving on. Um, Power of the Daleks is obviously out there in the big wide world now. People have been downloading it. Uh, DVDs have been popping into people's letterboxes, at least in the UK. Uh, it hasn't winged its way down here to me yet. I'm still waiting for well, Annika. Apparently, mm-hmm. apparently they have. Not in my, my bloody inbox they haven't. Inbox, sorry, postbox. Oh, really? Well, I should explain this once we get on to what we're saying. Yes, and what better time than now? Because, Doc, you got to see the first, I think, three episodes at the BFI, and as part of that ticket, I think you got uh, a free DVD in the in the price, but it was being mailed out or something, and it, it still hasn't reached you? And I still yet to arrive. Oh, no. It's just been posted out a week ago. It's really annoying because I've deliberately avoided downloading it from the BBC store. Episodes four, five, and six, because that well, it's, it's coming in the post. And then I'm thinking, oh, Rob will want to talk about Power of the Daleks, 
So it's the last chance is to turn up in the post this morning, and it doesn't. So there we are. Um, well, have you seen all six yet? Well, well, no, because I didn't want to download it, and I'm waiting for Annika Wills to sign my copy and send it. I think she's probably signed by now. Ah, I love the Annika Wills. Yeah, but oh, it's yes, in the mail. Oh, yes, you've got one of those, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. I'd be prepared to wait if you had uh, Annika's signature on it. Mm. Oh. Uh, yes, it was quite interesting. The place was full of... People who've listened to my podcast will know that I avoid conventions like the plague. Partly because I um, am completely socially inept. And I tend to be the person at parties who's waiting in the corner, pretending to be checking his text messages on his phone, uh, just because I can't do small talk. Um, And also the fact that, uh, you know, chatting, being in a room with 400 people exactly like me scares me to death. (laughs) Um, But the, uh, the place seems to be full of people in naval uniform. And I was thinking, oh, how come to the how come on the right day? <laughs> it didn't occur to me they were all cosplaying Ben. Oh. And this guy, this guy in a uh, you know a, a, a one of those weird hats that Patrick Charlton wear, wears around about until the Highlanders walked past. And just the penny dropped. Was going. So yes, my uh, my co-podcasting host Hayden and I got tickets for this thing. Bumped into our. Uh, one of our third co-hosts, Matt, who's been um, disappeared for the last few months with pressure of work, he says, but manages to get down from Manchester to the BFI when he, when he, when he needs to. <laughs> I thought I was appalling. Frank Skinner was there, did a little... Um, he's, he's obviously now seen as, you know, an A-list Doctor Who celeb. Uh, who else was there doing it in for the Q&A session? Um, Stephen Moffat, uh, Fraser and Annika... Graham Harper, which we were quite excited about. I quite like Graham. And is it David Dodd who did the design on that? I, I don't know. I was just going to say, or though, Dodd, maybe. with regard to Frank Skinner, it seems with Doctor Who, like any sort of genre film or TV show now, you can be on it for one or two episodes and the gravy train then stretches out forevermore. You know, conventions, appearances, you know, people want your autograph and associate you with something you barely did a day's work on. You know, it's quite it's quite strange how that sort of works in today's um, pop culture world. Well, all the, all the celebs afterwards immediately disappeared, with the exception of Annika, who patiently sat around signing things behind a table. All the other celebs immediately disappeared into the green room, mm. barricaded themselves in there, which I think slightly um, disappointed a few people. Yeah, but it, it was it was really interesting. Not, not, I don't think the fact that it was on the big screen made much difference, really. Just the fact that you know you were with about perhaps uh, two or three hundred other fans watching it made it interesting. Um, Is the animation as South Park as I like to call it, as as it seems in the trailers? You know, just shapes shuffling around. They're not really that well animated. No, it's not that bad at all, really. But they are. They are quite... Um, it is quite basic. Mm. Uh, the best animation I've ever seen is was for the missing episodes of uh, Invasion. Yes. Well, that was quite good. Uh, this is more along the lines of, say, the animation for the Ice Warriors. Oh, okay. Um, it's not... Don't expect, don't expect it, to, it to be... Uh, oh, you, you can barely tell it from the original. <laughs> it's, it is very basic animation. But the the good thing they do is that they get a lot of 
uh, Pat Charlton's facial tics and expressions quite well. Okay. Which is main. It's just the thing, really. I mean, if you if you've got that, the fact that he's um, uh, shuffling around and he's moving around this uh, the studio uh, is neither here nor there. I think. This was one of my fears when they, you know, just leading up to the release, they started in, in Australia and New Zealand and I'm sure in other countries where it's big, they started sending around flyers, the Doctor Who people saying, are we going to have a release at the cinemas and come along? It's been redone, it's it's hot, it's funky, it's really great, you know, and I just got really worried that there might be like, I don't know, a, a, say a... 13 year old fan who says to his parents take me to this take me to this it's going to be fantastic they've never seen a reconstruction before they're not really sure what they're getting into and then they get in and it is that very basic animation on the big screen for six episodes I there's just... no way they'd have got in there was in the row in front of me a little boy who must have been it can't have been more than about um six maybe it's obviously his dad had dragged him along because otherwise he, he wouldn't have been able to leave him alone at home. Yeah. Uh, and he was just spending all the time fidgeting and obviously not that interested. Mm. He might have, you know, he might have seen Matt Smith and uh, Peter Capaldi. Wasn't that interested in this? Apart from that, it was all sad middle-aged men, probably <laughs> with uh, the the greatest um, preponderance of beards in a room that there's ever been. Um, because when I. When I when you you went online to book the ticket the day it was released, I went online because I was at work. Um, my broadband was quite it was fairly slow, uh, and within about two or three minutes of logging on after the tickets had started going on sale, there were only about a dozen left, and so I thought you know it's going to be diehard fans that are going to it and not you know not little kids saying oh daddy daddy buy me a ticket to this. Do you think if it was in colour, and obviously we know it's in colour now, that that sort of thing might attract the kids more, perhaps? I mean, because I must admit, when I look at those colour clips, I think, oh, that looks really good, that looks really interesting, I want to see that. I know that's not the view of many old-school fans who are like, no, it's all about the shading, and they've done this, and they've done that, and it's got to look like the uh, original, and, and it's bad enough that it's not in, you know, <laughs> um, what's the format that's not um, widescreen, uh, the four three scale. Oh, anamorphic is it called? Yeah, they, they think like it, it should be like that to be exactly like the TV episode. Blah, rage, rage, smash things. I'm actually quite looking for... I mean, I've not seen this at all yet. I've only heard the audio many years ago. I'm looking forward to the colour version myself because I thought that looked really, really kind of sexy, actually. I have heard people saying, oh, no, no, we must have it in black and white. Because, like you say, you know the various shades of, of light show up better. Uh, it would... I don't know, really. To be honest, I can't, I can't say that I'm, I'm enormously fascinated by it. I was mainly pleased when I heard it was being released. That, oh, thank God, I can finally listen to Power of the Daleks. I've got the old BBC audio CD somewhere, but I can't really listen to these. I think I got 10 minutes into it and I, was, I just was so unable to follow it. I just um, took it out and chipped it in a cupboard uh, because it's not its not even like a big Finnish audio play. It's its made for video. Yeah. And so, yeah, yes, with reconstructions, you can get subtitles and you can get um, telesnaps on. But mm. 
I find though I find that with the recons, I find it difficult enough to follow. But just audio, no, I, I can't follow them at all. So I was thinking, well, at least I'll have you know a vague visual representation of what's going along to follow the audio. So it was more the story I was interested in than you know the different types of animation, which I'm not an expert in anyway. But it was uh, it's worth seeing. I thought you were going but, to say you were happy because it finally puts the Omni rumor to bed. Well, at least about power being found. Well, it's only well. It be, I've never paid much attention to the Omni rumor really. It obviously, it doesn't mean that the they aren't out there. It just mean probably means they definitely haven't been found. Yeah, because for years there's been this rumour that there was even a screening of them, At funnily enough, at the BFI. And every time that rumour would come up, I think, oh, look, if if fans had been at this, someone would have talked by now. You know, it, was, it seemed to be the most ridiculous yeah. rumour I'd, I'd possibly ever heard. Well, it's like, you know, the idea that the moon, the moon landings were faked. Yeah. You think, hang on, I'm not saying they couldn't have been faked. What I'm saying is it, it could not have been kept a secret. Because someone would have said something by now. Um, and you think, if, if even that's true, then a couple of hundred Doctor Who fans in a cinema would have kept their mouths shut for... Um, they can't even... Whoever it was that leaked that original clip that led to the announcement that the animation would have been made, you know, someone couldn't even prevent themselves from leaking that. So... No, I think the one thing you can't believe with rumours in the Top 2 universe is that um, vast numbers of fans and people involved in, in the BBC have managed to keep their mouths shut collectively because it doesn't really work. Yeah, exactly. All up, uh, before we move on, what what would you give it as a... Could you give it a rating out of 10 or is it just too hard given it's this mishmash of audio and newly made animation? To, oh... I can't say it's something I'd, I'd watch more than once. Interesting. It, w- it just no, it wouldn't. It wouldn't interest me that much. Um, so once I've seen the final three and I actually know what this, I've just bought the novelization to read that. But then at least I, I'll finally know what goes on in Power of the Daleks. But otherwise, <laughs> it's not something I'd watch over and over again. That's not unusual for me. Are you interested in that Blu-ray with the color version? Well, the thing that I I really like about that is the box looks really nice. <laughs> so otherwise, if I could just buy the box for something like 50p, I'd buy it. But otherwise, no. <laughs> well, moving on from that, um, because we've got a few things to crack through here, you've been very good and read a book that is sitting on my shelf. I can see it from here. And I've not even opened it yet, and much to my shame, because it relates to my favourite Doctor. It is, of course, Peter Davison's autobiography. And yes. you've read it, I've not. Please, what can you tell me about it without spoiling me too much? It's very interesting. It's um, Unfortunately, with auto- I tend to buy books for e-books these days to read on a reader. And the problem with that with autobiographies is that one of the biggest pleasures of autobiographies I just haven't got room on shelves, mm. is, you know, all the the stacks of photos. It's usually in the middle yeah. of the book. Um, so I have to, I tend to miss all that. Um, it's called, Is There Life Outside the Box? An Act of Despairs. It's a strange way. It's a little all over the place time-wise. So it jumps from time to time, but, but that's a deliberate in, um, design. You get each chapter is introduced by what, 
would appear to be, but I think it's it's artificial, a short diary entry from his time rehearsing and playing in the musical Gypsy in London, and which, by an amazing coincidence, sparks off a memory which leads into the ongoing chapter about his childhood or first getting into acting or in Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Um, the result of this is that his co-star Imelda Staunton probably gets more mentions than anyone else in his life. Um, <laughs> the surprising thing for a, a Doctor Who biography is how little Doctor Who there is in it. Oh, really? Yeah, I think you've all seen these biographies where there's one chapter at the front dealing with the life up to Doctor Who. Then the middle ten chapters cover perhaps this person's, you know, the, the two months this person spent on Doctor Who. And there's a final chapter at the end, which is covers leaving Doctor Who until the, the present day. Um, it's completely unlike this. Doctor Who is, is, is almost dealt with in perhaps a chapter, if that. It's wow. very, very cursely dealt with. Um, but not, uh, not to the detriment of the book, surprisingly, because he has actually done so much in his career. Even so, I would advise anyone considering buying this book to buy it because it's a good read and not in the expectation of finding many anecdotes about Doctor Who. I mean, the most memorable anecdote I can remember from it is the thing about um, Matthew Waterhouse telling, what's his name, don't look in the camera. And (laughs) everyone knew, I'd I'd known that already. It sounds Uh, sounds like it could be a bit like that. What was Pertwee's first uh, autobiography, Moon Boots and Dinner Suits? I don't think that had a lot of Doctor Who in it from memory, and it was his second autobiography, the one from Virgin, that I don't think many people own, and if you try and find a copy now, it's hundreds of pounds uh, because they're so rare. Is is it possibly like that? Did you ever read that Moon Boots and No, Tennessee? I didn't, no. I have, a, but, I have a memory that there wasn't much Who in that. It was more his life in the Navy and leading up to perhaps becoming mm, Doctor Who rather than actually about Doctor Who. Which is a good thing, really. I mean... To be fair, if you're Doctor Who fan already, what what can Peter Davison tell you about his time at Doctor Who that you don't you haven't already heard a thousand times before mm. at a hundred conventions or in a hundred DWM interviews or in a hundred DVD extras? So there's very little I imagine you could you could get on it. The most interesting biography I've ever read, talking about the time on the show, was that was strangely Matthew Waterhouse's. Because not because anything particularly interesting was said, but it's very it's very apparent once he actually starting out as a massive fan of the show, actually turning up for the time the first time at the studio, how disappointed he was with Tom. <laughs> Clearly thinking, I'm going to be on Doctor Who. I'm going to be hobnobbing, you know, every day with my hero. Yeah. And it turns out, you know, Tom would would breeze in, do his rehearsal, then and, and bugger off. Um, Probably to a pub in Soho. Soho. (laughs) There's almost as much coverage given to Peter Davison's later convention work as there is to his time on the show. I mean, for instance, he's clearly got a bee in his bonnet about Tom's tendency to, at conventions, to stand standoffish from the other doctors. Oh, you've seen that one? What's about the most recent one where they're all lined up on the stage on a on a sofa and some chairs? And Tom deliberately goes and sits on the far on the far end of the sofa away from them. Right, yes. Yeah. That clearly annoys the rest of them. 
I was a little apprehensive about reading it because I mean, you used to get all creatures great and small in Australia, didn't you? Oh, absolutely. I yeah. loved it. And that it made me read the books and I wanted to be a vet when I was 10 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't. I did. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's <laughs> the legions who, in fact, I don't know what some farmer would think if you, you turn you turn up in his sheep pen in a TIE fighter helmet or something. Um, <laughs> As the legions who follow my slightest word on the Diddly Dumb podcast will know, I really, really dislike hearing the, that the cast on a show that I used to like didn't actually get along. Oh, no, really? It, it, it gets me down, which is why I, I don't listen to commentaries on the Tom and Lala era of DVDs, mm. because it's so awkward. I also don't tend to listen to the um, early... Uh, Davidson era ones either. Especially if if Matthew Waterhouse is on, because it's so obvious that they're all ignoring him. Yes. Whichever studio they're recording the commentary <laughs> on, and I, I just don't like it. I don't. I'm not so naive that I think, you know, that just because they're all travelling together in the TARDIS on the TV, that therefore as actors they'd all get on together. But if get along together, but if they don't, I'd rather they kept it to themselves. So I was a bit slightly apprehensive when it gets to all creatures great and small because Robert Hardy has got um, a very <clears throat> has got quite a reputation as being a very being a very awkward actor to work with mm-hmm. uh, and I thought oh god what if it turns out that it's full of anecdotes about how the two of them couldn't stand each other and I'm not able to watch all creatures great and small again thinking <laughs> Siegfried and Tristan they really don't like each other at all <laughs> But it actually wasn't like that at all. Oh, they, um, it was quite, it was quite nice. It was all getting along each without each other quite well. Um, there was an interesting story about them all being stuck in all together in what some hotel somewhere in the Yorkshire Dales when they're doing the, um, you know, the uh, what do they call it, uh, location filming, where I tried hard he would stay on his own in a much posher hotel somewhere up the hill. <laughs> and uh, you, you'd think at first, wouldn't you? Oh, that's that's obviously the, the trigger to, for lots of anecdotes about you know, him being a bit standoffish and snobbish. Mm. But it was... Um, <laughs> I, was I was quite impressed with it, really. I'd, 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 if you work with someone during the day, why on earth would you want to socialise with them in the evening? Yeah, I was just going to say, I've always been like that. Um, I go to work, and, and I, I often genuinely like the people I work with, but no way do I have them over to my house on weekends. No way do we go boozing after work. You know, it just it just seems the most unnatural and weird thing to me in the world. And yet, I know some people who are the complete opposite. They turn work into their whole social life. I, I just think that's mad. But, you know, each well, to their own. There are a couple of people in my office who sit... Their desks are about two yards away from each other, and their man and wife. Ooh. I thought, oh god, how how could you stand there? Yeah. <laughs> you never get away from each. You never get away from each other. Mm. Um, On the whole, what would you what would you give the book a, a, again, either as a mark or as um you know a comment in general? It sounds like for for a Who fan who might want loads of Who anecdotes, they're not there. You know, go to your DVDs and books for those. But in general, it, it sounds like it's fairly entertaining. For an interesting book, I'd give it an 8 out of 10. As a book for 
um, someone mad keen to find out more about his talent, Doctor Who, I'd probably give it about six, five out of ten, maybe, mm. at the most. Not because of the, the the poor quality of the stuff that's in there, but just because there's, there isn't that much in there at all. He breathes it past it quite. And maybe that's because he feels that that part of his life has been analysed to an anal degree already. Mm. So there's there's very there'll be very few anecdotes he's not told already. So he just goes through it quite quickly, really. All right. Well, worth a read, though. All right. Yeah, and as I say, I've got it on the shelf here. I don't know when I'll get to it, and it's again, it's to my shame. He is my doctor. I should be reading it, and I'm just not. Again, it's it's like we we're talking about earlier in the show. There's so much mm. content out there, you, it, you just can't get to it all at times. All right, moving on. Uh, class, class had its class. Seven... <laughs> I knew we'd get into this. Uh, class had its seven. Class. <laughs> the, the, this show about kids at Coal Hill had its seventh episode this weekend. David and I will talk about it um, on a uh, individual standalone episode. I've not even seen the episode yet, and it's the seventh of eight episodes, so it's almost over. Doc, I know you've watched some of them, maybe not all of them. What are your top-line thoughts on class? 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 What do you think, Rob? (laughs) (laughs) I've been putting them out there every week in a 40-minute podcast, Doc. I've I've told the listeners many times what I think. Um, But to to summarise it to to maybe a sentence or two, I think it absolutely does what it says on the box for the demographic, uh, which are probably kids around 15, 16 years of age. I think for others you can sort of get in and invest in the characters and believe in the world and and get wrapped up in the stories. I think they've been quite competent in many ways. I think in some ways some of the alien threats have been even more interesting than what we've seen in some Doctor Who episodes. I'm thinking specifically of the killer blossoms. They were like little cherry blossoms that rained down but actually latched onto people and sucked their blood and ate them. And if you got too many on you, you'd, you know, fall down in the street and uh, be killed by them. I thought, oh, that would have been fantastic in Doctor Who, um, you know, compared to some of the threats we've had in recent years. So I think there's been much to like and much to take away from it. But I know Backlash has been pretty big from... Um, this is more than two sentences, isn't it? Uh, I know Backlash has been pretty big from old-school Doctor Who fans. Interestingly, fans who like many episodes of Doctor Who that are quite odd and strange and not so great, and yet they go and criticise this for exactly the same things. I find that weird. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy with it overall. It's interestingly not a show I would have sought out had I not known there was a Doctor Who connection. If I just knew there was a new show on BBC Three called Class, Class, I would have maybe not even given it a second thought. But because of the Doctor Who connection, I watched it and I liked it. So I don't know what that says, that there's a show out there that I wouldn't have actually watched if there wasn't that connection. Well, I've watched up to and including episode four, mainly because we didn't get around to reviewing it on our podcast until last week. Mm. And so I thought, well, I've got to keep watching because I don't want to uh, finally get to the point where we review it, and it turns out that I stopped at episode one, and they've all listened. My fellow podcasters have all gone up to episode four. But I haven't felt the inclination to watch any more since. Okay, why, why is that? I don't feel the backlash. I mean, I think the, the good thing is that, unlike Doctor Who, it isn't meant to appeal to all generations. You know, there's this idea, Doctor Who famously, 
can appeal to ch- to young children, mm-hmm. uh, young teens, uh, students, uh, adults. Just uh, because of its particular uh, magic, because this I think this quite clearly isn't meant to be that. I don't feel aggressive towards it because I don't feel oh it should be appealing to me and it isn't. You know, you sometimes think is it me that's something wrong with me, or is it just something wrong with the show? Also, because it's not really a Doctor Who spin-off. It's not not in the way that the Sojourn Adventures was, where because because uh, Liz Slayton's in it constantly, you're is constantly reminded it's a Doctor Who spin-off. If there hadn't been that that two-minute clip in the in episode one where the Doctor turns up, jumps out of the TARDIS, says hello, defeats the aliens, and then jumps back in and disappears, you wouldn't think it was a Doctor Who spin-off, would you? You might think, oh, it's it's something that's been, uh, you know, triggered by uh, the change in television that Doctor Who's brought, brought about in the UK. So because it it's not supposed to be meant for my generation, for our generation, I don't think. Uh, and because the Doctor's in it, I don't feel any sense that I'm missing anything. And so it is it, it is just something where I feel, no, I'm not, I'm not that interested. I won't continue watching it. I don't know about Australia, but we we see so much of this sort of thing on UK TV. It's this. It, it's supposed to be for young. Well, they call it YA, don't they? The, the, the mm. demographic, young adults. Yeah. The, I think there's this idea that having a tragedy in your backstory automatically makes you a deep and interesting person. Mm. And that's obviously an idea which drives the self pity. Drives the self pity of many teenagers. Oh, I hate you. You don't understand me. <laughs> um, a well-written examination of issues arising from tragic events in the character's backstory may make for emotionally deep TV. The simple act of placing those events in someone's backstory doesn't make them interesting people on their own. Um, yeah. And when, the, when those tragic events are things like I am the sole, sole survivor of my my alien race, or I've now got a mechanical leg after an alien tore off the original. Yeah, I find it hard to take them seriously, unless you yourself are a teenager and you wholly buy into this idea that misfortune on its own is enough to make you a tragic hero. It yeah. just doesn't appeal to me. But when you when you think the character of Charlie, who's the guy who's the you know the prince of the long lost alien race. He's supposed to be the last surviving survivor of his race. Now, we saw how that got done brilliantly, I think, in 2005 with Christopher Eccleston. He's the last sole surviving member of his race. He's alone in the universe. And he's just, you know, wandering around school, getting along with people. <laughs> says, what's, well, yes, yeah, so what? It, it, it seems, a lot of it seems quite inconsequential to me. And I just... I should have seen probably the way it was going. I quite liked episode two, episode one. I really liked episode two, you know, the one about the the dragon thing. Mm-hmm. And then, but then, the Saturday after episode two, and I knew that the third episode was now online. I had nothing to do that morning. Just running around in front of my TV, thinking, oh, "What should I do? What should I do?" And I knew it with a single, a simple press of my remote control, I could have put it on. And I couldn't be bothered. Yeah. And I ended up, I ended up being something that I was watching because I was going to review it on the podcast. 
and that should have told me that it's not something that's going to appeal to me really. So I have nothing against it. It's it does exactly as you say what it says on the tin, but that's not the sort of tin that appeals to me. And I do think that some of the some of the acting is pretty dreadful, isn't it? I just think I do some of it is awful. It's interesting. Uh, we're almost here at the end of the uh, the run. You know, episode seven was out today of eight, mm. and we don't have a sense of whether it might come back. We don't even have a sense of how it's going because it is on the BBC no, iPlayer. Yeah. hasn't even had a, sort of a TV launch over there yet. We do get the episodes on TV as well as our version of the iPlayer. Um, so there are some some stats kicking around. I've not seen the most recent ones. They weren't spectacular by any means. So it's a it's an oddity, you know. Some fans even see it as something. Oh, they made this because they weren't making Doctor Who this year, um, mm. you know. So with Doctor Who back next year, and presumably for years to come, once Chibbers uh, gets in the seat, is there more class? Is there not more class? It's very weird. Uh, there's been these three spin-off novels, but aside from that, there's not like um, a big fan club or a magazine based around it. It it. it it is essentially a small show on BBC iPlayer. However, Mark, who's one of my co-podcasters, has a 16-year-old daughter who absolutely loves it. And yeah. at several points during some of the episodes, she it, she was crying. Wow. So it must work for um, that particular demographic. I won't repeat. I won't repeat what I said about it on my own podcast. Apparently, uh, she that uh, annoyed her when she listened to it. So... Um, it's just not my sort of thing, really. It's yeah. very. It seems very, very inconsequential. Mm. There doesn't seem to be much there, and I'm quite prepared to believe that episodes five to eight, I might be missing something amazing, but I'm not really prepared to go to the effort of finding out whether they are or not. Really, mm. and fair enough. Moving on to something else that I, I believe you have been watching too, and I have as well, uh, and it has a Doctor Who link. The Crown. You well, watched this, didn't you? Since since I, I I decided we're only doing one podcast in December, I've had I've started lots of watching lots of lots of new things. <laughs> yes, I watched the first four episodes of this. Now it's very strange mm. that you'd think, oh, it must all be centered around the Queen, wouldn't you? But she's actually the least interesting character in it. I she's agree. Never, I don't know if this is deliberate. Uh, you know the idea. Oh, you know we don't. They always say, don't we? We 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 never really know about the Queen or what she thinks about things. But she's the, she's generally the least interesting part of it. She's surrounded by really interesting and well acted parts like uh, Queen Mary, um, Father the Old King, Duke of Windsor, um, Churchill. Churchill. I think Churchill is slightly overacted. Um, Matt Smith, for me, is a little too Matt Smith. Mm. You know that you know that sort of that goofy smile that he does. Yes. Where he sort of tends to look under, almost under his armpit at someone, back at someone, and that <laughs> bright smile. I just as soon as he does that, and I can't imagine Prince Philip doing that. Um, <laughs> it may be that with. With the characters that are old, the sort of the gen- one generation back from the the Queen and Prince Philip, we're so, we're so we're not we we're, they're not characters they're not faces that we see every day, so the fact that they're not you know uh, dead ringers for them doesn't really matter to us. 
Uh, whereas maybe it's harder to think, oh, here's someone who doesn't actually look anything like the Queen or Prince Philip. How can they be them? Mm. Um, Although some of them do quite well. I mean, I think Duke of Windsor looks pretty good. And mm. um, the guy, the the press secretary... He's a trat, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Excuse my language. He's <laughs> awful, isn't he? The... My, my grandma used to always say... Uh, she always used to defend him. Oh, I thought, I thought, to, no, he was. You don't know he was really nice. But you see him in this. They, they may just be playing to a stereotype. You realize what a dick he was. Oh yeah, and and I was also going to say Tommy, the press secretary. I thought I want to know more about this person. I looked him up on Wikipedia. Bugger me, the actor looks exactly like him. But I know what you mean in terms of the Queen and Prince the Philip guy, and so on. The guy but... who says to um, Princess Margaret's boyfriend, you know, clear off. Yeah. Yes, you know you don't. You're not used anyway. You lost what God. Oh, what a bastard! Yeah, yeah. Um, although it's it's slightly, um, it's not much of a surprise. Guessing oh, what's going to happen to him? <laughs> Will he try and manage Princess Margaret? Will they allow it? You, 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 unless you, unless you're you're completely uh, unaware of what's happened in history. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think I think a lot of it is really well is really well done, and really well performed. They've obviously thrown money at it. Tons of um, money. Uh, which, from rumours, the BBC is really annoyed at. <laughs> Why is that? Do they see themselves as the the holder of costume drama cred? Or well, yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, well, they usually say you know you'll you'll watch something like Jewel in the Crown, and the the standard thing is usually, oh, doesn't the BBC put on wonderful? Until you realise, oh, actually, you're watching ITV. Uh, but you assume when you see that sort of thing, it must be the BBC because that's the sort of thing they do. In a way, it's probably better that it wasn't, yeah. Because there's no way the BBC would be able to put on a show that's um, that's in any way critical of them. Yeah, look, I I haven't got it in front of me, but I think they spent 170 million dollars on this, you know, which I don't yeah, think the BBC like that, could yeah. have spent spent in a you know yeah. in a pink fit. They could have probably afforded it, but they'd never got away with it. No, not not in these. Because there would have been an days. outcry in the press. Oh, BBC wastes splashes out um, license fee payers' money, and so in a way, it is the best of both worlds because you can watch it. You know, you can choose just not not to pay for it. You don't have to worry about it. The the last one I watched, I think, was the one about um, Churchill dealing with dealing with the smog. Oh. No, did I? No, because I watched the coronation. Mm-hmm. Oh, they have the daft bit where she she prompts the archbishop because he forgets something in the oath or something. So I think it's really good, but some of it's quite strange. Um, There's a lot of people looking at other people from across rooms or across you know um, gardens or whatever, and music going like bom as they sort of you know stare intently at each other. I, I noticed that there was a lot of that going on, a lot of face acting. Yes, yes, it's, it, is, it, is, it is, some of it's quite strange, some of it's a little all over the top, but uh, it's well worth a watch. Um, yeah. I've done the ten episodes, and I was quite happy oh, at, really? at the end right. of it. Yeah, oh yeah, it's it's really, really worth people's time, even I work with someone, and I told them I was watching it, and she said, why would you be watching that? You know, I don't think she's... A, yeah. mon- a monarchist, a royalist, whatever you might want to call mm. it. And she just couldn't conceive why you'd want to watch sort of a, a drama about the Queen, in quotation marks. 
And I said, look, it's so much more than that. It's more about the, the history of the era and the countries they yeah. travel through. And... It's, it's, not, it's not a biopic, is it? No. No, I wouldn't you know, say biopics, so. It's essentially just running through someone's life, ticking off the boxes. In fact, in fact, he's probably up to the points that I read about halfway through. It's not that it's not that much about her, is it? No. It's mostly about all the people around her. I have lots of good things to say about it. If people out there are thinking, should I watch this? Should I not watch this? Oh, it's, it seems a bit of a weird thing to watch. No, give it, give it a try. Give it like two episodes or even three episodes, and you'll start to see the. Particularly once you get to that smog episode, which is you know mm. completely removed from what the Queen is up to, yes. yeah. and it's it's more of a, a Churchill episode, really. Mm. Um, I still haven't got. Oh well, I, I won't say what I was going to say. It would be a spoiler, but how can I put it? I was going to look up as to whether one of his staff members actually existed in real life and was part of that smog emergency. Oh, Churchill. Yeah. Uh, what you mean, the woman? Yes. I, I doubt it. I think I, I assume she's invented. Right. Yeah. Um, I've also just started. I've never watched a single episode before. I've just started on episode on series one of the X Files. Really? Yeah, I've never seen it before. Oh, it's one gosh. of those things that I think it's yeah. You know, it, it when I was younger, it seemed to be const always on TV, and I thought. Well, it must be about six series into it now. So there's no way I can start can you start in the middle. Mm-hmm. So I never bothered watching it. What are you thinking? Uh, it's strange. I I assumed that he would be very all sort of cold and mysterious. But he's quite sort of sassy, cocky and sassy, isn't he? Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't think he'd be like that. She's very strange. Um, she just seems she just seems very very unusual. I was quite surprised that in almost the second episode, they have them seeing, effectively, aliens or alien effectively proof of um, Roswell or something. So I thought I assumed oh that it would build up build up and build up throughout the series until as it's reaching its height. That's when they actually start discovering oh there really are aliens out there. Um, I've only got about five episodes in, but it's uh, it's quite interesting. You'll see a big difference between se- season one and two. Not not so much in the terms of how they act or anything like that, but yeah. in terms of money spent on the show and the overall look and quality of it all. Uh, I remember when my wife and I recently went back. We'd, we'd watched it on transmission years and years ago. Yeah. And when we went back a year or two back and did a, a watch from start to finish... I was struck by how cheap and budgety the um, the first season looked. It just it does get so much better looking after that. Uh, so you're actually watching some episodes that probably look a bit grainy in the picture quality, and you know the yes, the yeah. acting's a little off. And oh, yeah, I, I won't say too much, but I'm oh, I'm fascinated that you're going to be watching this. I'll be interested to hear what you say once you start getting into the real arc episodes and. And uh, uncovering bits and pieces. And yeah, I can't say too much without spoiling anything, I guess. So I'll shut up now. All right. And that, I think, brings us to the end of the episode. Thank you so much for joining us today, Doc. It was it was fun to, to chat with someone uh, someone new while David's playing away in, in Canberra. But uh, his place is safe. He'll, he'll be back next month. What? I didn't. I didn't manage to go as last as long as the last time I appeared on your podcast, where 
you asked me a question and two hours later I finished answering it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if people want to jump on the website, look up uh, Doc's interview. I think we've got it in our interview section. Uh, It was on the Who Wars podcast that we were doing at the time. And I remember that as quite quite an epic chat. Okie dokie. Lovely to see you. Lovely lovely to see you. Lovely to speak to you, rather. Yeah, and we have projects up our sleeves. Listeners won't know, um, like our Pertwee project, Project Pertwee. Uh, No one will know what that is. It's been up our sleeves for about three years, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. So it's not the last you'll hear of Doc on uh, on this feed. That's for sure. We've just got to, as we say, find the time to do these things. It it is hard sometimes. As your listeners turn off in their millions. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Thanks so much, Doc. Cheers, Rob. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash The DW Show is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights for the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who. And started a just-arrived second-hand copy of Andrew Cartmel's Through Time. Doc, what's happening? <laughs> my oh, God. Sorry. It's okay. I thought I'd, uh, I thought I'd turn my microphone off. Don't worry. I'll uh, I'll get rid of all that before I before I do anything. Are you? How are you recording this, by the way?